And so Paul concludes his argument of uh, salvation by grace uh, through the illustration of uh, of Abraham or through the account of Abraham with these words. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. That is, the faith that God gave Abraham was counted to him as if it were a righteousness. Clearly, that righteousness then comes from God because it was counted to Abraham. It couldn't have come from him if it was counted to him. And uh, it is a righteousness that God gives to all men and women, one way or another, through faith in the good news of God, through Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, or through judgments that bring them to that. And then comes these interesting words. Now it was not written, that is, uh, all the story of Abraham was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So this is Paul's conclusion of the story of Abraham. He is pointing out that, as I've pointed out yesterday, that the message of the Old Testament is grace. It is not law. And therefore, you and I need to look again at the Old Testament, read it with uh, renewed interest, read it through different eyes, because we're looking at God's grace throughout the world, who has already triumphed over Satan by casting him out of heaven, and is revealing that triumph through all the history of uh, God's dealings with humanity. And it says that the righteousness was imputed to him. Now, we always think, don't we, that righteousness by faith, imputed righteousness, is a New Testament idea. In fact, we think of Paul, uh, rather Luther, Martin Luther, and we look back on him and we say, this man discovered righteousness by faith again after the, the clouding of the whole issue through the medieval church. He discovered righteousness by faith again through the Old Testament, uh, through the uh, book of Romans. Well, not quite so. Martin Luther actually discovered the message of righteousness by faith through the book of Psalms, first of all. Yes, the Old Testament. And then, as he looked into the book of Romans, there he saw it very, very clearly. How beautiful, then, that God imputes righteousness to us as sinners. Notice what it says. He, but it was also written for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus up from the dead. Now, you see, that's what Abraham's life is all about. The story of Abraham's life and that he was given a child when he was a 100 years old and uh, Sarah's uh, womb was already barren and she gave birth, nevertheless, at the age of 90 is a story about resurrection from the dead. It may not seem that at first, but the fact is that that child given to Sarah was not 
born by natural means. It came by a miracle, the miracle of God who loves to give life to dead things, who loves to call into existence things that do not exist. That's the whole meaning, of course, of the book of Genesis, isn't it? That God speaks of things that do not exist and says, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be earth, and let there be animals, and let there be men and women, or a man and woman created in his image. One of the greatest truths that Christians know, and Jews too, is that God creates things out of nothing. It's called technically in uh, uh, in uh, theology creatio ex nihilo, which is a Latin word for creation out of nothing. We don't believe, as Hindus do, that um, uh, God is in everything. He's in the table that you eat your food from. He's in the air that you breathe. He's not a pantheistic God. They confuse, regrettably, his creation, the creation for the creator. But we do not, not because we're wiser and more intelligent, but because the the uh, gospel has revealed that Christ is the creator of things that come out of nothing. This is the wonder of God. And so, you see, when God creates out of nothing, he does the same thing when he gives us the new birth. When he brings us to faith, that is a creation out of nothing. Your faith did not arise out of your mind. It isn't the result of your uh, brain chemistry. It isn't even a result of your spirit. Faith came to you from God when you had nothing of a resource a resource to believe it. That's the wonder of the gospel. Now it was written for his sake, not a, alone not for his sake alone, that is Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now, don't think of imputation as a technical thing. God charges um, uh, righteousness to our account when we don't have any. It's simply the act of love. Think of your own children. You impute love to them. You treat them as if they were lovely and righteous and good, when perhaps some of your children may not be lovely at all. I mean, we've all known what rebellious children are. We know that some of us have gone through the experience of seeing our children in a really difficult mess with drugs or alcohol or other problems. Yet we keep on loving them. How odd is our human love that we keep loving unlovable creatures? Well, we ourselves are unlovable, really, and yet God keeps loving us. That ongoing love is imputing righteousness to us. It is treating us as if we were lovely people. And that's because God loves God does not love lovely people. God's love creates lovely people. That's how 
the wonder of God's salvation is. So also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Just as Abraham's seed, the son Isaac, was a miracle child, so also Christ is a miracle child. His resurrection from the dead was a miracle. It was not natural. We do not see human beings being naturally raised from the dead. This is something unknown in this broken, fallen world of sin and death. That Christ rose from the dead was the miracle of the ages. It was the phenomena of the ages. And it is done. it was done for us because Jesus Christ is a representative and a substitute of the human for the human race because he rose we shall rise and so it says also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our lord from the dead now notice the next verse verse 25 who was delivered up because of our offenses Now, don't think that God is going to impute righteousness to you because you are righteous. The very word impute implies that you're not righteous. But remember, we are imputed as righteous precisely because we are offenders. He cannot call us righteous because we are righteous. He imputes righteousness to us even as men and women who have offended who was delivered up because of our offenses, and then, notice this, was raised because of our justification. Think of that. Jesus rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, it justified us. That is, it declared us innocent, and it vindicated us. Remember that in this world we have one accuser, not two. We do not have God as our accuser. Jesus said he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Who then is the one accuser? It is Satan. Satan is standing before God, or one might say figuratively that he's standing before God. He's actually in this earth. But he's standing before God and endlessly accusing the human race of being unworthy of salvation. Well, indeed, we are unworthy of salvation. But God is pointing to his Son, the representative of the human race, the one who stands in for the human race and says, Look at my resurrected Son. He was a true, full, and complete human being. He walked with me in this fallen, broken world with the human nature that Adam fell in. He had no sin, but he had the weaknesses of fallen human nature, and yet he lived with me in a perfect life. He lived before me perfectly on behalf of all humanity. And that humanity that I created, says God to Satan, in Jesus Christ, my Son, is imputed to all the world. And thus, you see, we are vindicated. You and I are vindicated, justified, vindicated by Christ's resurrection. We are not simply forgiven human beings. We are vindicated. We are vindicated by Christ who stands in for us and represents us. 
The nearest thing I can think of in this regard is um, the story of David and Goliath. Remember, the Philistines said, we will be your servants, we will be your slaves, if you can knock out this man Goliath, this giant of a man. And silly little David came along with a few stones and just hit him right where it counts, and he fell flat and dead. When he died, all of the Philistines knew that they were to be Israel's slaves. Now, how odd is that? Why would they say that? Because they understood the meaning of representation, that Goliath represented all of the Philistines, and when he fell, so did they. And we can think of it in other terms as well. You remember, well, some of you will remember, I'm old enough to remember it, but you remember the impeachment or the upcoming impeachment of President Nixon. He avoided it by resigning, but you remember what the resignation of President Nixon did to the United States. It shamed us all. We all felt that we had fallen when he fell. That is what it is to be a representative of the whole people or a whole nation. When the representative goes down, we go down. But when the representative wins like David did, then all of us win. And that is the victory of Christ on our behalf. Thanks for joining me today. Colin Cook here. You've been listening to my broadcast, How It Happens. If you would like to help to keep this program on the air with a donation, it would be so very much appreciated. The program is now in its 26th year. Thanks be to God and thanks be to you, the listener. Send your donation then to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160, or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. Thanks then for all your support. I do appreciate it. And also your little notes, which are very, very encouraging. So thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Cheerio, and God bless.